everybody you just stepped inside of psychotic bump school the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul my name is dj rome and i want to welcome you to another exciting edition of psychotic bump school so ladies and gentlemen tonight oh we have an amazingly full show you know we always do y'all check out this lineup tonight we're gonna have uh people from really all over the country tonight and we're going to be talking about it. Lots to discuss. How about what's happening in the Olympics with Simone Biles? What are the mental health challenges facing her? Y'all see all that backlash she was getting for backing out of Olympic events? But Simone Biles has been making a lot of headlines lately. And to help me break down her situation, we have returning out of Virginia now, by way of California, licensed marriage and family therapist, Nicole Rains. That's right. Formerly known as Nicole Ward. She has since married the last time she was here. So Nicole Rains will be joining us this evening to talk to us about the plight, the mental health plight of Simone Biles. Also joining us tonight, I'm proud to welcome back our good sister, Dr. Tria Collier. Dr. Tria Collier is a professor out of Las Vegas, Nevada, and we're here to talk about tenure. Um, not too long ago, Cornell West, Dr. Cornell West, and of course, Nicole Hannah-Jones were making headlines because of their situations with their respective campuses offering tenure. Uh, Dr. Collier is going to help us break down and understand the politics around tenure for collegiate professors. Also joining us tonight, we're gonna have our good brother, Dr. Reggie Robinson. Dr. Robinson is a cardiologist out of Washington, DC, y'all. And he's gonna be breaking down the latest in the fight against coronavirus. It's been a while since Dr. Reggie has been here, y'all. And this Delta variant that is just rummaging through the country and people have made their choices regarding getting vaccinated. Well, Dr. Reggie's here with the latest, the latest updates on the battle of coronavirus, Dr. Reggie Robinson. And I'm proud to welcome this next guest back. She hasn't been here for about three years, I think. She goes by the name of DJ Hey Love. DJ Hey Love is a Bay Area DJ out of Oakland, California. She's here to break down DJ culture, nightlife as we struggle to open. And what's it like in the plight of a Bay Area DJ? Uh, DJ Hey Love is here to break it all down. So it's going to be an amazingly full show. And you might want to call your friends and family to the radio or the computer because we are about to set it off. So this is KCWGTheTruth.com. My name is DJ Rome. Welcome to Psychotic Bum School. Stay tuned for more. We're going to kick off our show after this. This is Dr. Reginald Robinson, and you're listening to The Psychotic Bump School with your host, DJ Rome, on KCWGTheTruth.com, the best internet radio station on the planet. My beating heart. It will be better to be cool. It's not time to be open just yet. Less than what's to forget still my beating heart I'll be taken far fool it's not healthy to run at this pace blood runs so red to my face I've 
Okay, we are back. KCWG, the truth.com's program's called Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome, and uh, joining us now is uh, the good brother, Dr. Reggie Robinson. He's a cardiologist out of Washington, D.C. You guys know this brother. He's been here multiple times helping us with the onset of coronavirus and its progressions. And now it's been a while since we've had him on. And I, I want to hear what this Delta variant is doing in his region and what's happening in the hospitals and the general overall response of this country on this day and age we're in right now. So ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome back to Psychotic Bump School, our good brother, Dr. Reggie Robinson. Dr. Robinson, how you been, man? I'm good, good morning. Well, good, yeah, good morning, your time. Good something, yeah, man. Yeah, man, it's good to hear your voice. <laughs> if and you can I'm, call it good, it's good. Dr. Reggie is at the seat of the, uh, the nation's capital right there in DC. And uh, they just went on, lawmakers, I mean, when I say they, just went on an August recess. They just tried to pass a bill to stave off this eviction moratorium that's about to kick in. Uh, there wasn't a lot of clear communication from the Biden administration about their sense of being bound by law to extend the moratorium. And so that's just one of the fights happening in D.C. I'm, I'm going to come back to the pandemic in just a second. But there's also this thing with these uh Police officers, they're dealing with the, the, the attack on the Capitol. And so lawmakers are just weary and tired. And then, Dr. Reggie, Dr. Reggie this, this Delta variant started really wreaking havoc in red states. And so people are talk, calling this like a, a pandemic whiplash. It's like, how do we get back here again? You know, knowing full well, as you said, that the information was out there and um, a blind man could see this coming. And so What's different about treating this stage of the fight compared to before? It, are you seeing any difference in the people coming into the hospital needing ICU treatment and their general apathy or reservations versus uh, compliance with mass mandates as just one example? What have you been seeing in your area? Well, the difference is everyone's been seeing that probably 90, over 90% of the people that are now coming into the hospital are the unvaccinated. Hmm. Yep. That's pretty so, huge. Now, what, yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Because people are unvaccinated for a variety of reasons. We had a guest on last week who was saying, you know, his medical condition, um, you know, he, he's not comfortable. He wants to see how it plays out. What are your thoughts on the unvaccinated in lieu of uh, the mass <laughs> mandate that Muriel Bowser is just reinstituting? Well, I think, you know, the same people, some of the same people that say, oh, I'm, I have all these medical conditions, so I'm scared to get the vaccine those are the people that are most vulnerable if they actually get COVID, mm. right? So we see a small percentage of people that you talk about the, the thrombosis or the vein clot uh, in a small percentage, you know, you, you don't want to be that small percentage, but when you look at quote, literally one in a million um, that had that same thing with the myocarditis or inflammation of the heart, a small population of people less than uh, in their forties or fifties or less, were generally the ones that had the quote inflammation post vaccine, no deaths from that, uh, that I can recall, mm -hmm. uh, unless there's some that came out that you know, I'm not aware of, mm -hmm. uh, but that's not higher. That's not much higher than, or pretty much the same as the general population in getting the same disorder myocarditis. So we see that all the time mm -hmm. from a host of reasons from different viruses that inflame the heart. Uh, that's usually the most common cause or right. immune reaction to the heart itself. So, I think that those same people that worry about their medical conditions should really talk to their doctor and see that they're the highest risk if they actually contract COVID. Oh boy. Oh boy. 
Right now, Dr. Reggie, Dr. Robinson, um, it's Republican dominated states that lag behind the Democratic ones when it comes to vaccination rates. Um, states like Alabama, Missouri, uh, Missouri, I should say. Uh, hesitancy is a big, big factor right now. And Republican governors and state leaders, like you said, they're like miniature presidents, right? For their respective states that they, they oversee. They're, I mean, they're going nuts trying to figure out, okay, given all the misinformation that preceded this moment we're in, it's like, we tried to tell you, but they were getting some really poor information sandwiched in within the mix of, you know, things coming from Dr. Fauci and the CDC and the NIH and all that. And so now we have this problem that they're trying to put the toothpaste back into the tube with, you know? And so, man, at work, oh my God, what am I trying to say? Dr. Fatigue, uh, compassion fatigue. Uh, what is that like when y'all have been out there since the get-go trying to tell people, take this seriously, doggone it. What do we have to do? I mean, we've got to shake y'all. What's it going to take? What, what, what's your sense of the pulse of the compassion fatigue of medical professionals such as you? And I'm, how, are they, how are they doing with this messaging war? Yeah, I'm tired. You know, it's, it, there's a set, there are about eight different questions that you just posed and all of that. <laughs> so, yes. About the fatigue, yeah, I'm, I'm fatigued. Um, as a cardiologist, I still wear two masks in my office. There's no real ventilation when you go in the doctor's office and you don't know who you're going in, you know, you're going into the room to see. And, you know, I saw a patient a couple of weeks ago who came in with symptoms that I was worried about him having underlying coronary disease. He was having chest pain and shortness of breath whenever he would move from short distances. He was probably like in his seventies. He came with his daughter. Um, so I told him to leave my office and go right to the hospital to get an to be admitted to get a catheterization to look at his arteries. But of course, everyone that comes to the hospital, there's a protocol at every hospital that you get tested for COVID and he was COVID positive. Mm. So many of his symptoms could fit the pattern of COVID as well. So certainly that pushed off doing an angiogram and his respiratory status continued to decline. Mm -hmm. So that had to be pushed to the back burner and now dealing with him with COVID. So if I would have relaxed my, you know, way of dealing with people and my staff would have relaxed how they were dealing with people, I would have been in this room with this guy with active COVID. Oh. Um, <clears throat> so there is no you know, like the HIV pandemic, no one was walking around and say, hey, I have HIV. You do, you did universal precaution. Mm -hmm. right? You still do universal precaution 20, 30 years later. And here on out, we're gonna have to continue to do universal COVID um, precautions. The mm -hmm. messages were so mixed throughout the beginning of this thing, first politicized, there's no scientific reason why they shouldn't go back to mask. It's a political reason. And that's how it started out with all the confusion and not letting people tell the truth. And that put the scientists and the CDC and NIH in a ball because some of them may have bowed to that pressure. Now as physicians who used to trust the advice from the CDC and scientific you know, community, <clears throat> you have these conflicting things where, oh, you wear, it's okay to wear one of these gaiters. No, oh, no, it's not okay to wear a gaiter or a bandana. Now you need to wear a mask. But the whole time in the hospitals, it was mandated that you could not wear these cloth masks or gaiters. You had to wear a surgical mask. So why weren't we really pushing that out to the community? Um, why aren't we still pushing that out to the community that, you know, 
mask matter, this specific particular type of mask matter, um, and continue with quote universal precautions as if something is happening. The way people looked at it and the way they presented the data on the efficacy of these vaccines, people say, oh, it's 99% effective. When, when you hear that, what is your first thought? Oh, it's gonna be like a, a force field around my body. So now whatever I breathe, COVID can't even enter my body, right? So mm -hmm. people don't think that. They think, oh, I have the vaccine. I can never get COVID, coronavirus. That's not the true message that should have been out there. Mm -hmm. It's 99% effective at fighting coronavirus you still can get coronavirus as we're now seeing. And I've been saying that for a while. Don't think that since you have a vaccine, there's a, a force field around you that you can't breathe in coronavirus. You breathe in viruses every day. So mm. if you're in the environment where you can breathe in coronavirus, you're gonna breathe in coronavirus. Right. The fact about the, the vaccine is that if you do breathe in the coronavirus, your body, body has a head start, that it's already mounted a response waiting for this virus to come versus someone getting caught with their quote pants down literally when the virus actually comes into their body the body has no idea what this thing is that's attacking it so before you know it it's already ravaged the body before it can even mount a response oh boy all right one last question uh and it, it's two pronged because i know i'm i know <laughs> i have these tentacles in the questions that i'll be throwing at dr robinson so people coming in now, are they getting, are they showing up with either strain of the virus, uh, the, the first version of COVID or Delta? Are they still, is it just Delta that's mainly coming <clears throat> now or the previous? Are, is there no, you're still Delta? getting both, but you, the one of the more predominant, which they've been saying for a while would be the, the Delta variant because it's, it's some, some say it's as highly transmissible as the measles. Uh, mm -hmm. But you know, we, you don't see measles, mumps and rubella anymore. Why is that? Ah, look at that. What, yeah, why is that? You, because of the vaccines. Vaccines. But you, you don't see people walking around with polio. Why is that? <laughs> you know what? And I saw that uh, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell is actually a survivor of polio. And he was one of those, you know, misinformation uh, rabble rousers. And now he's one of the leading advocates of vaccinations on the Republican side. It's like, it's like we tried to tell you one last thing you mentioned a second ago about wearing two masks when that particular patient came in and you saw the condition he was in and you referred him out. And so you said there's very little ventilation in your particular space, right? So what are your thoughts on that? Because I asked you offline about people's comfort with working out in gyms where people have varying levels of comfort, whether they're unmasked or not. Uh, how readily do you see yourself going back to work out in a gym or being in public spaces and groups with a lot of, you know, people who have taken this virus seriously at varying levels. Uh, what are your thoughts on that in terms of people keeping themselves safe? Well, the first part of it with the, the double vac mask, I do that. Uh, I try to do it if I don't, you know, sometimes I might rush into a room, but I try to do it uh, on all of my patients because at the end of the day, I want to just get rid of the, the usual surgical mask that's covering my, KN95 or 90, M95 mask, right? Because, you know, you, you can keep your KN95 or N95, but after a while you want to get rid of the other surgical mask. So I have that one on top of my most effective mask. So the KN95, the 90, N95 are the most effective. N95, then KN95, then the surgical mask. So I can just discard the surgical mask. So I would have that double protection and not having um, any issues with that. 
but I'm, I'm personally not really that comfortable going in, even though I'm vaccinated, um, you still can be a carrier. So if you have kids at home who haven't been vaccinated, mm-hmm. you're still risking exposing them when you go home from getting your workout yeah. um, in at a gym with your mask off. So, mm-hmm. and it's hard to work with a ma- workout with a mask on. Man. Uh, some people can do it, but you know, it's um, there, there is no clear ventilation, no, UV light, you know, they try to do a great job with going through and bleaching things down. That's bleaching the stuff that's on the, on the machines. They, they're not bleaching the air. Mm-hmm. Right? So the virus transmitted through the air and particles as well. Yeah. So, um, so if you're in a closed in space, um, you, you know, you have a chance of getting it, but yeah. you know, certainly people say you can't live in fear. You got to live on and move on with your life. There are tons of things that you can do outside. Uh, his name is Dr. Reggie Robinson, cardiologist out of Washington, D.C. Good brother. Sure. Appreciate you coming back to uh, chop it up with us. What's the best way for people to keep in touch uh, with the latest in the fight against this coronavirus? Uh, what websites could they uh, seek out and what's the best way for people to keep themselves informed? Well, um, Johns Hopkins has a, a running update on um, the cases and coronavirus. I would still say look at the CDC if you did get vaccinated, try to sign up for the V-Safe program with the CDC because they actually do text you every day right after you get your vaccine. And I'm still, I got vaccinated December of last year. Oh, and I still get texts from the CDC and one update. So that's how they compile data and side effects and what the vaccine may be doing. So if you don't do that, how will they ever know? So sign up for the V-Safe program. You can uh, go on the CDC website and, and, and log in and create a, a, pro, a profile. And that way you can always have your, cause they also keep your vaccination record on the V-Safe program. So if I just happen to go you know, travel somewhere and I need the copy of my uh, vaccine status, they have it in, in the V-Safe program. Mm-hmm. Not just a little piece of paper that you got. This is Nicole Rains and you're listening to Psychotic Bump School with your host, DJ Rome on KCWG, thetruth.com, the best internet radio station on the planet. So it is my honor to welcome back to Psychotic Bump School, our good sister, Mrs. Nicole Rains. Nicole, are you there? <laughs> I'm here. Thank you so much for having me, Rome. Oh my I'm God. I'm really happy to be back. It, it, I realize how long it's been. It's um, been back along. Where yeah. in the heck have you, I mean, I've been <laughs> bugging you and hitting you up and I just can't track you down you've been busy how in the world are you doing you sound happy i'm i'm doing really well um i'm I'm happy i'm content uh upbeat today so you know it's sustained in those moments because they do shift what are your thoughts on what's happened with simone biles at these olympic games as it reflects black society as a whole right now can you talk to us about that a little bit Sure, Rome. I think it's being able to just not only honor, but show up as a whole person, which means it's not just about our physical selves. It's physical. It's the mental, emotional part, as well as a spiritual aspect. And spiritual is not necessarily meaning religion, but just how we find like that meaning and purpose in life Mm -hmm. and really being able to say, like, I'm going to honor myself um, by being able to do that. So it's something that even as therapists, when we use the analogy of putting your oxygen mask on first, right now it is that notion of I'm putting my oxygen mask on first 
um, before I'm able to do anything for anyone else. It's really unfortunate. Some of the comments and commentaries uh, that I have seen or just opinions based upon people who probably some of them uh, have never even uh, attended a live gymnastics meet or knows a gymnast or even when anybody involved in sports because I think that's the other notion of okay well she's an athlete so she should just push through um, and that's something that even comes back some with the with the black community is oh well as a community as a culture as a as a people you're resilient you know and you push through and the thing about that is resilience is built only through adversity so it's not like oh you were just born resilient you mm. know it's not about being black so that automatically makes you resilient is that there's been so much adversity that this resilience in order to survive and in order to cope in order to exist and actually yes thrive has developed, but we don't have to bank on that. We don't have to say Absolutely. this is our push through mo moment if it's actually going to cause us harm. See, look at that. So there's so much going on across the country right now. Nicole, you're absolutely right. Uh, we have an eviction moratorium that's just kicked in and soon uh, landlords all across the country are going to legally be able to um, enforce eviction notices. So people are stressed out. They're wondering how they're going to make it and People are having to prioritize and make some very difficult decisions. And your favorite uh, athlete or your favorite, you know, whatever, just, just fill in that blank as far as a black professional person in this world, they, they may not be all that down for martyrdom these days. So you, you talked about some of the critics, okay? Mm -hmm. And you said that, yeah, most likely y'all can't even do a headstand, let alone a cartwheel, and you up here talking about somebody. But can you speak to that a little bit? What, where, where does that insensity, how is that insensitivity rooted in our culture? I and mean, it was coming from a lot of people. I saw black people criticize yes, her too. It's, it's not. It's it goes across all, all gender expressions, all cultural pieces of culture. So just race, ethnicity, any other piece of culture that you can think of, they're gonna have critics, and it's not. It's actually not about Simone Biles. It, it's not. It's about how the person is experiencing life just in general through their own eyes, their own perceptions, what they might be believing in terms of their own thoughts that are honestly just thoughts and those are personal to you and aren't necessarily facts. And I can even have, I mean, I can speak from a compassionate space of where with the criticisms, right, is trying to look at, okay, what is this actually doing to you? You know, what is it bringing up for you? Right. Is it bringing up like some sense of failure that you haven't had? You know, is yeah. it bringing that you've now put the weight on this young woman's shoulders for an entire like movement or or whatnot, because that's the other thing that broke my heart is where she herself was like, one of the reasons she's still competing is to bring, you know, so that the sexual abuse allegations in those cases don't get dropped um, and to still not have any kind of cover up. And that's a lot of weight yes. for one person to have on their shoulders. So when the critics are talking, it's whatever's coming up for them. It's not about her. Um, and if they sat and kind of was like, oh, why is this making me feel uncomfortable? Or for some people, even enraged, like, oh, what does yeah. this really mean to me? Right. Where it's like, oh, well, she has the goat on her on her leotard and she deserves to have it on there because this is also yeah. 
this is still the greatest of all time mo- moment for her where yes. she is bringing this to attention. And even if it is people negatively talking, you now are also faced to, well, why do you think she should take that off? Like, mm-hmm. why? What are you really saying about a person's overall well-being? And why is it important to you that this one person sacrifices themselves for for what? How is that benefiting you? Exactly. You know, it, what it kind of remind me of, Nicole, is you ever <laughs> you ever go to a restaurant, fat, well, if you go to a fast food restaurant or whatever, you get them French fries and they kind of spill out of the main container and they kind of spill out into the bag. And then sometimes you, if you're driving, I'm telling on myself now, y'all, <laughs> if you're driving, you just kind of blindly reach into the bag. It's like, okay, I got some left. I got some left. And then you might realize, oh, I ate the last one already. Ah, and you feel so cheated. You know, you yes. feel like you've been robbed of an opportunity to savor <laughs> that last one, just one more, just one last time. And it's like, who hurt you, you guys? I mean, we, we playfully toss that at people. And we, and we ask people, you know, respectfully, you know, what happened to you that you're so invested in this person that you're projecting your own wishes that you could be yeah. as, you know what I'm saying? So a lot, all this started with Naomi Osaka, um, yes. Nicole. And do what concerns, if any, do you have about sort of a chain reaction in a positive or adverse way that athletes are really asserting themselves? In this case, female, you know, sisters, you know, who perform mm-hmm. at this high level? excuse me, at this high level, uh, what implications do you think or hope will reverberate as a result of both now Naomi Osaka and now Simone Biles prioritizing their mental health over everything else? I'm gonna start with hope, Rome, because what we've seen uh, just in general is that people are prioritizing their their mental health, even that aren't in the limelight, that aren't famous. There's been an uptick in people utilizing mental health services. So for both of these young women to say, hey, you know, I'm gonna share this with you, because they didn't have to, but mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna share this with you and being able to um, say even at this level, when I know that I need a break, instead of me letting my body or my mind break for me, I'm going to take a step back, right? Mm-hmm. When I know that it is putting not just my physical well-being in harm's way, but my mental and emotional as well, and right. giving people that permission. And it really does, my hope is that it gives more people permission to say, okay, I'm going to prioritize me. I am going to take this step back because these are just roles like being an athlete Mm -hmm. being a parent even being a spouse a significant other like all these are roles that we have in life and i I know i've said this on this the show before rome but it really is how we are as a human impacts all those roles so if we're not functioning at our best as a human it's going to be almost impossible because I won't say impossible but it's going to be very challenging and and a lot of times unsafe to try to force ourselves to show up in that that role and just really making again my hope is that this is also part of that of where we have these conversations about what it means to be an elite athlete because there are a lot of psychological phenomenons that make up elite athletes that People are more than willing to talk about that when it comes to sports psychology or when people are in, uh, it's a mode called flow where everything else goes away Mm -hmm. and you are just in that moment. Like you become whatever movement you're in or whatnot. And being able to experience that is amazing. And 
people other than athletes can experience that as well. But we talk about all these parts and instead of making it, oh, that's the positive part. And now this is the more negative part. If there's any kind of, because we still don't know exactly what's going on, right? We just know that there's some health issues, but if there's also this other part, it doesn't have to be like, oh, this is the negative. This is the dark part. It's part of it. Mental health is all of it, just like the physical health. We wouldn't be shaming either woman if they had a sprain or or a break or a tear, Mm -hmm. but this shame that's coming because it's something that we can't see is is not fair or appropriate. Tell us what you got going on with Soul Compass and what that's all about and what's the best way for people to keep in touch with you? Sure, Rome. So best way to keep in touch with me is going to www.com soulcompasstherapy.com that that has all my information on there. Um, You can also find me at Nicole, uh, sorry, Nicole12LMFT at gmail.com and listen to the podcast that I have with Dr. Dina Scott um, that kind of came out of us being guests on here. Y'all finally got that one off the ground? We got that one off the ground. Like what? Pandemic pandemic made us busier and slowed us down at the same time. So be love, be well, be whole is where you find your podcast. This is Dr. Tria and you're listening to DJ Rome on Psychotic Bump School, the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. I'm not your friend or anything, damn You think that you're the man, I think therefore I am I'm not your friend or anything, damn You think that you're the man, I think therefore I am Stop, what the hell are you talking about? (laughs) Get my pretty name out of your mouth We are not the same with or without
Okay, we are back. KCWG, thetruth.com's program is called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. And ladies and gentlemen, of course, you've been hearing the discussions in the news, if you've been following the news, about the issue surrounding tenure with a couple of our rather more prominent African-American scholars. Okay, so in the news lately, Nicole Hannah-Jones, who was facing the prospect of being tenured or at least uh, contesting for her tenure at the University of North Carolina, I think it was. And she ended up uh, making headlines because she was not offered a tenure position, despite the fact that many of her predecessors who had occupied that same exact position, who didn't look like her, um, they seemed to have no issue whatsoever being granted their full tenure. Instead, or as a result of that, she ended up accepting a tenure position at historically black college, black college that is, our university, all right? And the same thing happened recently also with Dr. Cornell West, who's been, you know, an icon in the, uh, the right for civil rights and just activism at a grassroots level. Uh, even Cornell West was denied tenure at his respective institution. And so I just wanted to have a conversation about this with someone who's in the ranks of the collegiate world of education. And she's been here before. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, this good sister has authored books. Uh, she has taught. She's bilingual. She's and she's a DJ, too. I did. Did I mention that? This lady does it all. But we're going to talk about education this time. And uh, I'm really excited to have her back. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to Psychotic Bump School, our good sister, Dr. Chartria Collier. Dr. Mm -hmm. Collier, are you there? I'm here. Hey, Rome. You've done so many of these. How many have you done now? This is episode... <laughs> oh, yes. We're approaching 200 episodes now. Are you serious? I'm serious. I've been kind of busy. This is probably episode number one, somewhere between 178 and 180. So, Oh, my gosh. That's yeah. massive. Well, kudos to you. Well, thank you. We've been waiting for you to come back. I've been trying to keep the numbers low so that if we hit that 200th milestone, we, we get you in here between <laughs> this block. But you've been very busy out there in the beautiful state of Nevada. Am I correct? Yes, yeah. Well, um, technically, our college is in Henderson, but um, yes. I live in the Las Vegas area. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, uh, as we speak right now, it's 104 out here, and I'm sure y'all know a little something about heat in Henderson, Nevada, correct? Oh my gosh, it's been <laughs> insane. Yes. Um, insane. Yeah, between some days I've gone out to my car and it's at 118. Um, uh -huh. <laughs> Yep. 123 one day. I was like, this don't make no sense. That ain't even right. <laughs> that is not even right. Yeah. Well, uh, thank God for central air cooling systems, because without mm -hmm. it, we'd be in a whole lot of trouble. And speaking of heat, what's heating up in the uh, the discourse out in the world of education and politics, it's mm. unfortunate that these two have fused together so prominently lately, Dr. Tria. Um, mm -hmm. They're talking about the issue of... Um, Let's see. There's so many issues. I mean, <laughs> what what what's what can you tell us about the education world at the collegiate level? I don't know where race factors into this, Dr. Tria. So uh, can you describe that world a little bit and how accessible the the obtainable goal of uh, tenure, long term tenure 
is achievable for uh, African-American professors at the collegiate level. Can you talk to us about that process a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think I want to back up a little and go back to your original word was is politicized. And so regardless of what institution part and I should have turned off my uh, <laughs> I'm still in work, everybody. That's so on the clock, y'all. on the clock. <laughs> <laughs> it's yes. OK, um, but it really just depends on what institution you're in and the political context within that institution. Um, you know, I have been in higher education. I got my first tenure track job when I was 30. It was the year 2000. So I'm, I'm dating myself. I'll just be honest. I'm now yeah. 46 years old. Right um, I am a tenured full professor and I'm now an associate dean. Uh, right. But I'm not going to say it was an easy road. It certainly was hmm. not an easy road. OK, what made it so challenging? Um, OK, so many things. First of all, in education, there are a few things that impact um, faculty of color and their opportunities to excel. Um, some of those are what we would call the hidden culture, and some of those are the explicit. Um, in my case, I believe the main reason why I was able to excel is because I've had good mentorship. And that mentorship came from my mother, Dr. Betty Burston, and um, Dr. Marilyn Joshua Williams from um, CSUN, and you know a few other people, Dr. Susan Belgrad. I mean, I'm, again, I've been fortunate. I want to shout out um, Carrie Ann Rockmore, who Carrie Ann have, and I have never met in person, but mm. her work has pushed me through um, a lot. Um, so again, I always like to start off with the positives and. When we think about tenure, for those of you who are not in academia, there are three areas that we are judged on uh, annually and that weigh heavily for our tenure. And that is teaching, scholarship, and service. Mm -hmm. So usually when one is denied tenure, it is because a committee, so basically when you go up for tenure, there are several ways we're evaluated. Usually there's your third year review um, and your third year review is kind of uh, the when you start thinking about what your work has been, your culminating activities, okay? But before that, you're usually re reviewed annually and usually in your fifth or sixth year, you will go up for tenure. And the whole idea for tenure is that you cannot be fired, you have a, a, a lifetime job. Um, but what happens often is there are not only political dynamics within the university, but there might also be political dynamics in the department in which you're in. There might be personalities um, that that uh, don't really go well together. Um, so I'll stop and see if you have any questions. And I don't want I to do. start rambling. <laughs> no, you're good. Uh, personalities. Talk to us about what some of those conflicts or, um, you know, sort of those awkward areas rubbing up against one another. What do you mean by that? Well, again, when, so in some universities, again, you are well, actually in order to get tenure, you are usually judged by a, um, a committee of your peers. And again, you're judged by those three areas. Mm -hmm. um, in some cases, you might have a really positive collegial environment um, and fortunately, in my previous institution, we had a racial discrimination lawsuit that was bought on behalf of one of my colleagues. And um, there were many factors, but unfortunately, um, there was no mediation that happened after that 
lawsuit occurred. And so there was a lot of anger and frustration and just being very mean to each other that occurred. So it was an extremely toxic environment for, for me. And, um, and, and again, it just so happened that in that institution, it was a racial discrimination lawsuit and she did win. Um, but it was never talked about. I think in academia, what's so interesting is that a lot of times people um, say that they are pro this or pro that. Um, and so what happens is there's an unspoken, um, as I said, there's that hidden curriculum of, you know, a, a faculty member of color maybe might have more, be judged more harshly by their students with their student evaluations and certainly judge more harshly when well, for tenure. So I'll give an example, my year, and these are supposed to be your, your peers, and I might get my get a little spanking on my hand for being so explicit about this, but, um, you know, again, I'm 46, so at this point, you know, I, I got, have God in my heart, so, so be it. Come on. Um, but um, but what happens is that, um, for example, you, when you have your committee of your peers, they re review you annually. So if there's something that isn't right, um, if you're in any danger of not getting your tenure, they will usually give you the heads up if they have your back. Right. Okay. But for example, the year that I went up for my um, my review and although, you know, I was meeting those areas, there were a few a uh, few lines and a few jabs from some of my colleagues that were not, you know, were not friendly. They were not supposed to come, you know, they were not from a, a, a peer, a friendly peer committee. And so I literally had to have that sent back and I had to write and I had to have those comments removed because I did not want them on my permanent file. Um, mm. And even though, again, you know, it's that whole rule that you have to go three, you have to go um, above and beyond, you have to do three times more as a person of color, and it's exhausting. Um, and yeah. so there's that balance of self care, there's that fatigue. Um, and then not to mention when you have a toxic environment around you, it just makes it more difficult. Mm. Now for um, candidates of color, Dr. Tria, what is it uniquely about candidates of color that makes it triply hard because you said three times is hard right so that means that means you have to exert more effort to get the same outcome that somebody who may not have to try as hard so what does that possibly look like from the vantage point of a candidate of color well i mean again i think it goes to who do you go to to help balance you? Who do you go to to keep you inspired? So for me, the number one thing is my students. Um, the number one thing for me is when my young Latina girls or my young um, you know, Black girls come up to me and say, you're the first professor of color that I've ever had. Thank you so much. Right. So again, it's going to what are the rewards of what we do? Right. That's what keeps us there in the first place. And it's not only the teaching. For me, it's also the research. So much of my research and my books are about social justice and about multicultural education. So I, I have to you have to say that because those are the things that keep us grounded. And those are the, are the things that keep us from getting pulled in to allowing those politics to suck the life out of you. But it just depends on how strong you are. Not everybody's going to have the stomach to deal with it. Not everyone's going to. My mother, you know, is uh, is a professor as, as well. So she's she, you know, alerted me to to the game of academia. But not everybody's going to have that game. OK, so I'm, I'm going to press down a little bit more because 
during the pandemic and subsequent research that has come out of that has determined that a lot of African-Americans, no matter what profession they're in, they actually now are a bit hesitant about going back to work. Now that the economy is opening again, uh, well, that was prior to this past weekend with the Delta variant starting to spread in California. I'm not sure how it's going in Nevada, but nationwide is starting to spread and it's looking more and more like they're going to be facing some tough decisions again pretty soon if people don't start masking up, which again, shouldn't have been a political issue in the first place, but nevertheless, this is where we are. And what that research had determined, Dr. Tria, was that a lot of African-Americans realize after being home for a period of time during COVID, they don't want to go back to the workplace because of how toxic it was, because of all the passive aggressive slights that they get in the hallway. Maybe it's a, a, a comment, maybe it's a sleight of hand, intentional or not, but it's, it's a subtle jab. You know, you use the word jab and maybe they did it in the form of a written statement in, in your case, but it, it, it's, it's kind of talking out the side of your neck and making insensitive uh, comments that kind of create an environment that's not really all that comfortable if you come from the black community or a community of color. So if that's the case, given that, well, can you talk to me about that? How prevalent do you think that is? And what could be some of those issues? And, and, I, and I'm trying to be specific. Are they making racial comments that have racial undertones, like insensitive comments? Now, and I'm, I'm not talking about your situation. I'm just talking generally. <laughs> Is, is the, what, what makes it so difficult is, is the race component? Is it gender-based? Is it a male-dominated, patriarchal, um, old boys network, old boys club that makes it difficult? What are your thoughts on that? Oh, man. You know, there's so many layers. I mean, again, I, I think culture is a huge part of it. Like, you know, I'm at a different institution um, now mm -hmm. and I love it. You know, it's a very different culture. The mission of this college is for social justice and um, addressing the needs of diverse populations. So I think the culture, and it's not just in, in higher ed, as you know, Rome, it's the culture of education period, K to 12, it's the same thing. If you have a principal or an assistant principal who's not creating an inclusive culture, then it's going to rot at the core, right? So who's creating the culture? Who are the leaders who are out there? Who? So that, that's part of it, whether again, it's in K-12, whether it's you're working at Hardee's or well, Hardee's doesn't exist anymore, but McDonald's, right? So right. part of it is this is your culture, okay? What? Yeah. Who's creating the culture? Who's creating the environment in which people are working? Yeah. Now, you know, some of the things I've heard about people are going are, are, are not going back is because they're making good money not working. Now, that certainly isn't the case for me because I've been working the whole time. Okay. But from what I hear, people got laid off. They're doing really well. I didn't even someone just broke down to me um, that I didn't know that as well. Um, but okay. but I think it's again, it's individual. I mean, what the pandemic showed us is that we could all work from home well. Um, in many cases, if we have the luxury of working from home, right? There were some people who certainly did not have a luxury. It also reminded us of why we do what we do, which is for our family. Mm -hmm. um, so it's 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 multi-layered and it's not an easy thing. But again, I think the pandemic forced us all to realize one thing, and that is the only thing that matters in this world is family. True. True. So, so if there's anything that's going to take you away from that, 
then that's a distractor. And then it's gonna, it's causing us to reevaluate what do I really want, what's really important to me, what's really important to my my family. And so I think if anything, I, I it goes beyond um race and gender, it really goes to humanity, no. you know. Sure does. This is KCWG, the truth.com's program is called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. We're talking to the good sister, Dr. Shartria Collier. I call her Tria, y'all, just from back in the day. Uh, Dr. Collier is a professor and currently an administrative dean, if I heard correctly. Associate, uh, associate dean. dean. Okay, thank you very much. In the beautiful state of Nevada, tenure, what does that do for your family? What does that mean for job security, life security, not just for yourself, but for your family as well? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, yeah, it is. I mean, tenure is where, yes, you pretty much, unless you do something really, really bad, if you get tenure, <laughs> mm -hmm. you are supposed to have a lifetime job opportunity. And of course, there is also really good benefits um, as well when it comes to tenure. And unfortunately, you, you're right. I, I do see that more often faculty of color are judged more um, strictly than our non, you know, our non uh, peers of, you know, yeah. yeah. So, um, I, get it. I get it. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I always think about how, you know, for example, that that uh, Caucasian colleague could always go to go to to work in some shorts and some Birkenstocks and not be judged, mm. but we are dressed to the nines and again, doing you know, going above and beyond and barely get a nod. So yeah, it's wow. real. It's yeah, real. it is real. Well, when we spoke a little bit at the outset of the politicization, politicization, I don't even know if I'm saying it right, the politics <laughs> involved in education, uh, we were talking about, uh, before we started recording, you, you were speaking about culturally responsive education in mm -hmm. the, uh, the midst of the discussion around critical race theory, which is cycling through the news in a very fervent, fashion. And so can you talk to us about that uh, controversy a little bit and zoning in mainly on what is culturally responsive education? What does that look like? Well, okay, um, I want to back up a little and everyone I told Rome that I do not watch the news on purpose. So um, I've been I'm this is She's a just smart coming, woman. <laughs> and this is just coming from my overhearing uh, and seeing things on social media um, in terms of in terms of my response. But no, I've dedicated my, my much of my career to using critical. So we have two things here. We have critical race theory. Um, which is looks at the impact of a race on access and opportunities to to power um, within our institutions within society and um, critical race theory critical theory period has a lot of subcategories everybody uses critical theory in a different way in education we use critical theory different in um, political science we use critical theory different so first of all there's a lot of misconceptions about exactly what critical race theory is um, now in education we we use something called culturally responsive teaching or culturally responsive pedagogy and some people would say especially according to the way that our right our right-wing politicians are defining critical race theory um, that 
uh, culturally responsive teaching is teaching anti, you know, is, is teaching some sort of anti whatever to any particular culture. And it's not that really, when we think about critical race theory or um, we, critical race theory in particular is we're really looking at, again, the way that race might impact certain groups, depending on what your research question, whether it's women. And, and then there's a whole nother thing called intersectionality. So I'm not even gonna go down that path. But I'm going to talk a minute about just critical pedagogy and culturally responsive teaching. For me in education, why is it so critical? Uh, because we are teaching 80% um, of uh, K-12 teachers in our nation are white females. And they are usually teaching majority uh, minority classrooms. And so the way that we use critical pedagogy is to help those who are not of color um, to have a deeper understanding of, you know, issues of, and, and again, when we think about the isms, they're broad, it could be race, it could be gender, it could be um, having um, special requirements, special accommodations, having exceptionalities, right? Um, so, and it's not just for non-people of color, right? It's for us to stand, understand each other, for Latinx to understand um, Black Americans, for Black Americans to understand Asian populations. We are all different and we are all flawed, beautiful creatures as the song says, right? So critical pedagogy, critical race theory is not about teaching that one race is better than the other. It's teaching us how we can deconstruct uh, variables that influence our opportunities and access to power. That's right. That's right. And thank you for clearing that up because the right wing wants us to be talking about this. And in some ways, I have accepted the bait, um, but only, you know, working in education myself, Dr. Tria, it's it's very obvious that they are misusing the terminology to just rile up their base. Okay. Oh, so, wrong. Yeah. Go ahead. Go, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I mean, look at something as basic as Thanksgiving, right? Okay. Mm. So, so are, are they thinking that we're not going to say that Thanksgiving, you know, was, uh, you know, we're not going to deconstruct Thanksgiving. Are we going to just take it is that these Puritans came over and they had a beautiful festive holiday meal with mm -hmm. the, the natives, right? That, that is, is, is rose colored glasses. It's not teaching the full picture, right? We can think of any era in human history that it's all told from the white male perspective. Mm -hmm. Critically thinking about it is teaching our students that know what we're seeing in the textbooks. There's a deeper layer and we have to be able to break it apart. <laughs> How about the one we just had July 4th end Dependence Day? Uh, same thing. I mean, what was there to celebrate for the African-American? Who was the guy that wrote that? Was that Frederick, Frederick Douglass? What, what, what is Independence Day to the African-American? Mm -hmm. It's not the same celebration, that's for sure. But they're trying to ban it. OK. Um, and in essence, I mean, anytime someone talks about issues in education, whatever it is now, they're they're trying to paint everything with CRT, Dr. Collier. And it's so inappropriate that people that are in the know, I think we have a duty to really set the record straight, straight about what is actually happening, because there's no evidence that they're doing it. It's just because the former occupant of the White House uh, off the cuff made a comment about it. And then now all of a sudden, just like the voter fraud issue, now they wanna go around restricting people's access to that. And now they wanna try to politicize school boards as well to make sure that they don't teach these very important concepts. And they label everything uh, like a blanket over 
the issue of CRT. It's very frustrating, but I'm really yeah. glad to be talking about it with you and clearing well, it up. Yeah, and one last comment too, Rome. This is not this is not new. Okay, the right wing uh, agenda often comes into education to politicize. So if you think, you know, my background again is in teaching English as a second language and also bilingual education. Now, um, I don't know if you remember, but in um, there had there was a proposition called Proposition 227 that was designed to get rid of bilingual education in the state of California. And Proposition 227 went through. There was also the English only movement where um, technically there was a movement so that um, that we would make English the official language. Now, most people know that English is used most commonly, but technically it's not the official language only in certain states is it really designated in that way so the right wing does this periodically to come in and um shake things up and pull things back to their um side of the agenda but we have to be careful too because it goes both ways we have extreme left agendas too and we we won't get into those today that's a whole nother conversation absolutely absolutely well, and that's why many have said or suggested that uh, many of us are politically homeless because we have to watch both parties. And uh, I, I tend to follow Dr. William Barber when he says we don't have permanent allies, but permanent interests. And so whatever political faction you may represent, uh, if it's for the good and benefit of people who, who need justice, uh, we're for it. Uh, and even if you <laughs> even if you don't uh side with those issues you know on a on a continuous basis hey uh for a season you know it, it might be appropriate the enemy of my enemy could be my friend from one election cycle if somebody in power happens to agree with the issue that i care about no mm -hmm. permanent interests excuse me no permanent enemies no permanent friends and only permanent interests that's a mouthful but i get mm. it barber thank you <laughs> dr <laughs> collier thank you so much i've been looking forward to this conversation i want to have you back like repeatedly i mean you need to do this more often you're you're amazing you're so insightful you have a book that you've written possibly more than one right now that you uh once wrote with your wonderful colleague dr catherine uh what's the best way for people to find that book if you can list it for us again right now and how do we follow you Good question. Um, the best place to catch me is on Twitter. Um, so it's Dr. Tria on Twitter. Um, but yes, we do have a few. We have the book that you and I talked about originally, which was um, Social Justice and um, in Education and Multicultural Education Context. So that's with my colleague, Dr. Kamaris. Um, And then we also, my mother and some colleagues and I, we also have one called Hit, um, Isms and Healthcare. That one came out last year. And then my latest baby is um, I just, uh, my ex-husband and I wrote a children's book for our daughter uh, several years ago. And I literally just got it published about a few days ago and so we just got the hard copies for that that one's called um let's go with i and taj and it's the first of a series and so we're super excited about that couldn't walk in my shoes if i sold them i wouldn't pay attention if i owed them my ex flink said he met his match but i'm over him should have held a real down like i told him how silly it is muff Philly in his muff, better get it right like Gilly in his muff. My vibe and energy, diamond and tenor Jeep day, deer in the headlights. I'm Giannis and MVP, and try to brag on this. I'm like, ooh, I'm find another me, he need two. You sing what song, you signed your name, who? You feel desperate, what the f you gon' do? If that's Bree Steve, you better bang that sh. I be with that don't play that sh. Speaking on my name, get you played, don't say that sh. I get you hit first on some Ray J sh. 
This is DJ Halev, and you're listening to Psychotic Bump School with your host, DJ Rome, on KCWG, the truth.com, the best internet radio station on the planet. In a room full of dimes, you would be a hundred dollars. If being fine was a crime, girl, they lock your little fine ass up in the tower. We are back. KCWG, the truth.com's program's called Psychotic Bum School. I'm DJ Rome. And as you know, across the country, this country continues to stagger, to open, to get back to some semblance of normalcy. We've been talking about it all throughout this program, throughout the year, throughout coronavirus, in fact. And each time it looks like we're just on the brink of it. Lucy doggone it snatches that football one more again. And one industry, ladies and gentlemen, that has really been hit the hardest and has been waiting patiently to really become active again and to get to the level of productivity that it once was is the DJ community and nightlife community and just nightlife in general, just going out, hanging out, seeing your your crew, you know, at the spot. 
And you know how some of these spots are just absolutely revered, especially if you find a crew that you can really, really vibe with. Well, this next guest has definitely been a part of multiple crews that you could definitely vibe with. I had a absolute privilege of attending two of her events, um, two times to one event. She's involved with multiple things, but this good sister is a DJ for the people in Oakland, California. She's also uh, part of the crew that brings us Constellation with DJ Nina Soul and Wan Wei. So I am very happy to have her back here. So ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome back to Psychotic Bump School, our good sister, DJ Hey Love. Hey Love, what's going on? How you doing, Rome? It's good to be here. Thank you for having me and thank you listeners for tuning in. We are cool and the gang. It's such a joy to have you back. It's been a while. You know, when I had you on years ago, and I can say years now, I think it was way back in 2018. So much has happened since that time. So, <laughs> my God, um, coronavirus, hey, love. Um, can you talk to us about what kind of impact coronavirus has had on DJ Nightlife in the Bay Area of Oakland? What can you tell us about that? Uh, it's, it's definitely had a huge impact. Um, what was what was amazing was the perseverance and the um, determination for a lot of the DJ community out here to keep doing things. And so, yep. of course, everybody went virtual, which mm. was which was the only way to really still DJ and 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 get and you know be heard by audiences and things like that. Yeah. Um, you know, so uh, for for me though, as a DJ, it was definitely. Um, personally, definitely hard to um, hard to adjust to the whole virtual DJing scene in a sense that I, you know, I, I really I'm a vibe DJ, so I really feel people's energy and I really feel the joy of the crowd, or I really feel, you know, what this what what type, what do I play in this type of moment? Like that's what that's what I really really feel, and um, mm -hmm. and so it was hard for me to uh, go do virtual DJing because when I did it, I was like, I'm, I don't have anybody in my in my vicinity to vibe off of, I don't know, there's nobody dancing, you know? And so right. that was definitely a challenge, challenging part as me for a DJ. Um, I don't, I don't, you know, but I have seen like Juan Wei and Nina and a bunch of Oakland DJs, Bay Area DJs still doing it virtually online, which I think is amazing. And I thought was very needed at the time to bring people together, whether it was through the chat room or, um, you know, or, you know, some people were doing parties over Zoom and, um, mm. and people were still doing it. You know, it was like I said, it was definitely difficult for me in a sense of not being able to feel the energy of people. And so that that that's how it really impacted me personally. But I do know that a lot of DJs persevered through it. Can you can you hit on that perseverance piece a little bit? If uh, no. you know, where, like, where do you fall in this continuum of the the DJ culture? Is this is what you do, yes, right? Yes, yes, yes. You you pay so, bills with this, right? Yes, yes. I feed my kid. I pay my bills with this. You feed your kids. Yes, oh man, yes. This it's uh, this is my full time. This was this is my full time. Was my full time before COVID for thirteen years, and um, it definitely impacted me financially. Um, hmm. And that was a scary thing. Uh, and then oh, it God. also was. You know, um, for me, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm Buddhist and I don't, I definitely finances are. How I, how I'm going to, what life, what kind of life force and life condition I'm going to go through the day with, right? Because you have to be present. And I think that's and like, even though I did have financial hardships, I, you know, there's that perseverance, right? I, I was just like, let me just, I, I figured it out to be honest with you. It's a, it's amazing how I'm still in Oakland <laughs> a year after COVID and I didn't have to move out or, you know, I was able to still pay rent every every month. And I feel like 
it was it, it was just like a, um, it was a determination to survive and, and, and definitely a determination to persevere. Um, definitely took advantage of things like PPP and small business loans and, and took advantage of EDD, which, which, you know, which is, was a, such a blessing at that time. And so all those things definitely uh, helped out. But I think also, um, you know, you have to keep looking up and you have to keep believing that, that like right now is not forever. Right. It's just it's just it's well, it's, see, it's, that that's what yeah. we hope we, we that isn't that's mm -hmm. what we pray. Right. But mm -hmm. I'm seeing DJ. Hey, love, this country is trying to open its sleepy eye from this long yeah. coronavirus slumber. But yet yeah. still people are still politicizing things to the point where mm -hmm. we have unvaccinated, which is fine if you're not yeah. vaccinated. We, we've been talking honestly on this show about it. I mean, People feel like they have good reasons for being unvaccinated, but then the, the whole decision about wearing a mask comes into it and then things get kind of weird. And because of that weirdness and because of all the misinformation, we, we can't get past this. And it seems yeah. it really seems like it, it you know, I, I, I definitely will not be around forever. But for, for mm -hmm. the purists that what just I compare this, hey, love to the, the time when, OK, we got CDs. <laughs> for our CD player. Yeah. We got vinyl records and now, oh man, this new Serato technology. Oh, I don't know. I kinda <laughs> want, I'm a purist. You know, I want to dig yeah. through crazy. I want to get my fingers dirty. I don't know if I want to do this digital thing. I <laughs> mean, isn't this culture eventually going just going to have to give up the ghosts? And it's like, look, we got to go online. We got to do what you're doing with this, this virtual stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, how, how much longer do you think we can do this before the DJ culture is just not sustainable doing it on the old model anymore. Mm -hmm. This is very, this is very true. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know too many full-time DJs um, and, 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 and definitely the pandemic has definitely, uh, you know, impacted the people who are full-time DJs and we've all had to uh, branch out and find uh, new ways of sustaining. Right. And so I actually know a lot of DJs who now, play for a radio station like you know what I mean like so mm. like like there's a radio station that's just hired like five of the best DJs in Oakland and they're all like okay. they're all they're all on the radio station right and so and then and then of course there are the virtual DJs and then a lot of virtual DJs are asking you know for tips or donations you know and, and hopefully people mm -hmm. are doing that and I actually do know a few DJ, DJs who have been able to sustain a little bit in that way um you know, just like anything, nothing stays the same, right? And so, like you say, with like CDs and vinyl and then Serato, you know, and then, uh, you know, everybody has to kind of conform to the time because if you don't really yeah. conform to the time, you will be obsolete. And that's yeah. just, that's just, that's just the truth. You know what I mean? And so, right. and so, you know, cause then, you know, after Serato came out and then the controllers came out and I just remember everybody being like, never playing on a controller. I can't believe you have a controller. Mm -hmm. Like all these things that now they all have controllers. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, right, it's like right. now that each and every one of them has a controller, each and every one of them, wow. each and every one of those people that clowned on the controller has a controller. And so, wow. and so it's just, tell us, time, tell us what know? a controller so, is. Can you tell us what a controller is for those that don't know? Okay, so a controller, a controller is basically one device, like one uh, piece of equipment that actually has, it looks like a mixer in the middle, right? And then it looks like two CDJs connected to it. And it's like this, this, this one console that you can do everything on. You can DJ on, there's effects mm -hmm. on it. You could probably even record a whole album on it, right? There's a microphone plug in, there's, you know, and, and, and it's just, it's, 
it's it's given access to like a whole almost a DJ studio in one one piece of equipment, you know, Absolutely. and there's all there's different ranges, right? There's there's ones that are as small as a laptop and there's ones that are as big as turntables, right? And so and mm-hmm. so they come from all sizes and all range and all capabilities, but anybody can DJ on them. Like any I mean anybody can DJ on Absolutely. a controller. And that's and, a that's and, and a curse, right? Because not everybody's a, a professional yeah. DJ, right? Yeah, not everybody not everybody, but that's where you come into play. That's where your personality and and you as the DJ or you as the person who is aspiring to be a DJ has to stand out. How do you how do you use the controller? Like, you know what I mean? How 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 do you use the music on that controller? And I think that's, you know, I actually was talking about, you know, I don't want to name names because I don't want to, but I was talking to a really big hip hop producer. It's a very respected hip hop producer. And this was during the time when the controllers started coming out. And I said, hey, I want to know your honest opinion about DJing on digital or DJing on a controller. Like, what is your honest opinion as, as, as the person that you are? And he was just like, and he was a, you know, he he was a little bit profane, profane. So he used the f word and things like that. He was like, I don't care what you f and DJ on, I don't care what you f and produce on. If you do it, it sounds tight. Then that's it. You know what I mean? Like, it, like he's like, if you bring it, you bring you, and that's it. That's that's and and had no. And I thought that was very refreshing, you know, because we, you know we love to be purists. Yeah, I, I love seeing people play on just vinyl. I love people, yes. you know, doing that. But but. I think just like anything else, why can't this world be expanded to, to folks who feel like it's, who feel like it's untouchable, right? It, it, because like, there's always, there's always room for another DJ. I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I think, I think, I think if you practice your craft and you, you, however you do it, just like this producer said, like if, if you shine through it, mm-hmm. then that's everything. That's like, you know, so however you do it, I don't, yeah. you know, I, yeah, I mean, yeah. Let's figure out how to shine. This is KCWG, the truth.com's program is called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. We're talking to our good sister, DJ Hey Love, amazing DJ out of the Bay Area of California, representing Oakland, y'all. So how do you shine, DJ Hey Love? Because out of your region, uh, your region produced uh, one of the best DJs uh, ever. I mean, there's several all over the place. Mm-hmm. But one of the Funkstress comes to mind. Yes, she was representing. Um, I didn't know about her, but I remember seeing clips of her playing for Prince or playing with Prince. Mm-hmm. She would do this trick with her. <laughs> with yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> My husband's a photographer and has a and had taken a photo of her doing that. So you, you know, to, you okay, so it. yeah. Tell, tell the I'll, I'm gonna let you share it. It's something better. She Come does on. this really. She does this dope. She does. She scratches with her breasts. Like she basically <laughs> is a turntablist with her breasts like she could do it and she just she would kill it every time you know i mean <laughs> i uh you know i had the i had the great um privilege to to do a pam the functress um prince tribute you know in the castro um mm-hmm. and um and yeah but pam, pam's she's a yeah she's just a she's a legend like you know yeah. a, a, a dj legend in oakland and i mean Absolutely. she was she was always her and i think that's the key being true to yourself and who you are i mean you know i mean doing turntablism with your breasts i mean who would say let me do that you know and that's gonna be tight you know but she was her and she did it and it was tight so tight. so it's just these things that people can get away with and i i believe the way that i've been able to shine as a dj is as i i do not 
have any genre lines. And what I mean by genre lines is I don't, I don't just play one type of genre. I don't just stick to one genre. I'm not just a house DJ. I'm not just a hip hop DJ. I'm not just a corporate DJ. I'm not just a wedding DJ. I'm a, I'm a, I'm Hey Love. I love all types of music. And if it's going to bring people together for the occasion, that is what I want to do. And I want to create an experience that unites different types of folks, different types of backgrounds and different, because I'm in the Bay area, you know, like I, as a DJ, I, I, you know, I feel like I've made it in the Bay area because I can play to a crowd that's diverse. You know, Mm -hmm. I could play to a crowd that has, um, you know, a 60 year old in it that that, has a 28 year old in it that has, you know, a 16 year old in it and I can make everyone dance and I can make everybody have a good time, you Mm -hmm. know, and that's, that's, what I feel like I've been able to do. And I've been, you know, and, and, and for 13 years, and sometimes it's hard, you know, in a sense of like, you know, keep, keep going to keep going, especially after the pandemic. Sometimes, yeah. you know, it's like, it's like, you know, you felt like you had this momentum all the way before, up to, up to the pandemic and then oh the pandemic happened and all this momentum fell, you know, um, yeah. I had the, I had the uh, humbling experience to actually, DJ for Questlove's uh, Questlove's virtual show that he's been doing. It's called Go DJ, and he does it every Friday um, on Twitch and in collaboration with Blackstream Live. And um, so I was able to do that a couple weeks back, and it it gave me juice, like it gave me more life. It made you know, and he he um, I had no idea he was going to talk about me. Like I thought I was just going to DJ, but before I DJed, he talked about me for like a good minute, and like talked about how I genre blend and, you know, how I've opened for different types of artists like uh, Robert Glasper, Esperanza Spaldings, Young Cudi, Slum Village. And I mean, I've even opened for him. And so, and, and opened for all these different types of bands, like funk bands, like the Pimps of Joy Time and um, the Funky Meters. And, and so, and so that's why I feel I've been able to be a successful DJ is because I don't really just, I don't DJ from just me. I DJ for the moment you know the the moment and that's and then i think that's what's i think that's what everybody needs to find though right to shine you need to be present you know you know it to be you know to be a gift you need to be present right Mm -hmm. and so and so that is that is i think that's what's key in any moment or any situation that's it to shine right and to be true to yourself like we said a pampuncturist like that's a true to herself dj now we, we lost know. her, right? Didn't we lose her? We did lose her right after right after Prince passed away, I think. Exactly. So that's yeah, true. like it was very, very, very yeah. Yeah, that was pretty unexpected, right? I mean, did people very know unexpected. She was not feeling well? I think people close to her may have felt that way, but every time I've been around Pam and um, she's always positive person. You and I, I don't think you would ever really know unless she told you. You know, I didn't know. I honestly yeah. didn't know she was that sick. Right. And so I had um, no idea that we were going to be talking about her. But of course, you know, when you talk about Prince, his new album just came out over the Mm -hmm. weekend. Welcome to America. And that harkens back to anybody that's been in his orbit, like uh, the late great Pam, the Frunkstress. May you Mm -hmm. rest in heaven. And Mm -hmm. uh, my good friend, DJ Rashida, has DJ or was his DJ for many, many years, like more than 10 years. And Rashida actually played for Constellations. Well, yeah, so I've, 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 I've met Rashida and, and she's, yeah, she's an amazing DJ and yeah. she's a great person. Yes. Yeah, she, she really, really is. And she's got something coming up again with Erica Badu. I don't know if you saw that notification. I did. I did yeah. see that. So I, and she I, toured. She toured with Bruno Mars. I mean, that's big. Oh, she, she's, she's the homie. She's so, <laughs> so down to earth. People have no idea how down to earth she really is. But you know, because you've met her. But yeah. 
the, the point is that in all the quarantine concerts, of course, DJ D-Nice really set it off first. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That whole thing, you know, just pulling us out of the quarantine. (laughs) And then Erica Badu did it in a way that was so unique, so crafty. And that third one she did, that third quarantine concert she did where she had herself playing in those bubbles. But when she did the Mm -hmm. break, she had comedians, magicians, and then she had DJs. Yeah. she would find a way or she had created a way no matter where they were they were even across the border in some cases in uh puerto rico i think she had a puerto rican dj a sister from there mm-hmm. she had um oh my god i'm i can't think of her name right now it, it'll come to me in just a second but she also had rashida and yes. she had a, a young lady she was like 12 or 13 years old killing it but she mm-hmm. found my point is that mm-hmm. she found a way to to move this culture forward so what is next, DJ Hey Love? I mean, this culture eventually is going to have to evolve and we're kind of in a wait and see, kind of like people with this hesitancy with the uh, getting the vaccine. But there's also this sense that the, the culture and the society will eventually wake enough so that we can get back to the way it was. I'm of the notion that it may not ever again be like what it was before. Mm-hmm. And in that scenario, what what does DJ life then look like if we had to envision it differently? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, that's that that's definitely a great thing that COVID has done has opened that platform up for for the DJs to be online. Right. So that's that was like since that was the only place where we could go. It was a great opportunity to to figure that all out. And now it's like, you know, like you said, like, what is next? How how? How do we take what we've been able to do through COVID and but take it through, take it to another level, right? Like like you said, like Erica Badu did. And then even even with Questlove, like I love what he's doing because he's finding all these DJs around the world and he's exposing them. And I've been exposed to DJs that I never thought I would know, you know? And so that's mm-hmm. what's amazing is like, even though we are kind of separated because of COVID, we can actually come together a lot more than we think, right? Because we do have, we do have the the um, internet World Wide web platform. I think what we need to do definitely if if that happens, you know where where we can't really get together like 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 before COVID, right? I think a bunch of artists need to get together, whether it be DJs and musicians, and really put our heads together to figure out what is that next step? like how how yeah. how can we create community still in this? this new way of living right in this in living with COVID I don't know if I want to say new way of living right because because it's it's we're just harmonizing with it we got to harmonize with what's going on right and Mm. so how do we how how do us as DJs sustain and harmonize like and 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 I think we had we had a conversation about that and that's that's what is that collaboration what does that collaboration look like and I think that's another beautiful thing because you know, uh, when COVID isn't happening, DJs are usually busy doing their own thing and we can't, we don't have the time to collaborate. And that's, that's what's yeah. hard sometimes is I've like, I've talked to so many DJs like, oh, I wish I could collaborate with you. I wish I could, you know, but, but now, you know, maybe that, that is the time to be able to bring those collaborations into fruition and, and to manifest them. Um, if, if we do have to go and do something on the World Wide Web. And, and I think we also need to ask our audience, what, 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 what's, what makes it fun for you? You know, what, 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 what would make you want to go see a DJ or go see live, a live show online, 
Like how would, how, how can, how can we make sure that you get the best experience out of it? Right. And Absolutely. so, so that's, that's the conversation that has to be had, that the dialogue that has to be, to be had. And also we need to keep thinking forward. Like, you know, we have to keep, we have to keep being progressive and um, how can this benefit every, how can it benefit everybody in the artist world? Mm. Because like the people, when we did the people party, it was like, oh, we, you know, we just don't want to just do another party, you know, like you know, there's so many parties in the Bay Area. How can we make this different? So, mm. yeah, some people had some parties had vendors, but we made sure to have like a vendor marketplace, you know, like so we had like the whole top floor of the new parish with like eight vendors, eight to ten vendors was- every month, live painting. You know, I mean, yeah, these elements have been used before, but we kind of beefed them up, mm. you know, and, and um, I mean, and. and it, it just came at the right, it was timing. That's another thing. Timing is everything, you know? And so, and so, and, you know, and we wanted to make something affordable, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of, there was a big chunk of people that couldn't afford to go to the city and pay $20 to get in and then pay for all your drinks to pay, you know, and, and, though, and, you know, people just wanted a place to dance and hear good music. And so that's, that's what we did. And so now, right now, looking at this time, how, how can you be more progressive with what we do have virtually? Right. Because there is a way, there is a way, and there's also, uh, I think, a way to still give people a full experience. Most, you definitely. Know, um, Most definitely. We just all have. Yeah, we got to put our heads together, like you said, and to if, be open to nothing it. Else, yeah, if nothing else, we've learned how small this world really is, right? Yes. We're, we're more connected than we realize, and than so now it's yeah. just a matter of just marshalling the resources together. And uh, mm-hmm. the people is just one of those events that I know your crowd. I know they miss y'all terribly. Mm-hmm. I, know, I know that. Because They've it, been asking, believe me. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I, get a, I get a DM every once in a while, like, absolutely. Hey, you know. Absolutely, because those events are hard to find. Okay. Yeah, you, you they are. You don't find that kind of event um, everywhere. That's what made the people so special. You know, you got, like you said, you got the vendors, the painters, you got the dope music. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. it's not necessarily a drinking culture. You know, you and I spoke no. about that offline too, because, you know, we experience the same thing in Southern California when we do juju. I mean, mm-hmm. our crowd doesn't consume alcohol like that. They're, mm-hmm. they're there for the music, they're mm-hmm. there for the fellowship, they're there for this dope underground feel and vibe. And they love being in that group because it, it's, it's just different. It just hits different from mm-hmm. the, the mainstream spots. It's a natural high. It's you know, you know, it's a natural high. You go there for a natural high. You don't have to be anybody else different. Just be you and, yeah. and, and experience, you know, and then how do we do that? That's it. Like, how do we create that natural high virtually? DJ, hey, love, you're amazing. What's the best way for people to keep up with you, follow your work and follow these wonderful gigs that you have coming up? Um, www.djhey l o v e.com so w www.djhalove.com well it'll take you to everything and, and at dj halove on all platforms twitter instagram venmo <laughs> all, 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 all of all of all of the so so yeah at dj halove and djhalove.com well that's our show y'all psychotic bump school is the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. My name is DJ Rome, and you know we're here every Monday evening from 5.30 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific time. Check back with us. We shall return next week. Also want to thank our very special guests for the evening, Dr. Tria Collier, Dr. Reggie Robinson, Nicole Rains, and DJ Hey Love. Also want to send a very special shout out to Mr. Frank Starks, who is the Iron Man behind the board. And we're out of here, y'all. Take care.